This podcast is a part of the Newhoff Media Podcast Network. Do we have a love train? I don't think we do. Of course we do. <laughs> Day after November, right? Yeah. God. Uh, we've had a, uh, an interesting week this week and uh, a fun one. We're going to wrap it up with uh, Congresswoman Nikki Budzinski, who's in studios with us here today. Uh, I was your first year, right? Yeah. I mean, are you, does it feel like a year? You know, it's gone by really fast in some ways and probably slower in others. It's been it's been a busy year. What did sure. you learn that you didn't know? You know, I've been behind campaigns. Right? I what have, what yeah. did you learn as, you know, the person now that once all the campaigns done, you got to go to work? Yeah, well, it's about it's about building relationships and being the new kid on the block, uh, being a freshman in Congress. You've got to build those relationships. And as you know, Brian, I talk a lot about bipartisanship, but I would tell you my first year, I'm probably most proud of the fact that a lot of the legislative initiatives I've introduced on workforce development, um, on agriculture, economic development, it's been bipartisan. I've been able to build some relationships on the other side of the aisle, and I think we need to do more of that. I think it's smart, too. I mean, I think it's what's best for the people, but I think it's smart. I really do believe, and, and polling numbers are, are bearing this out, I, and I don't think we'll have a definitive knowledge of how all that works out till we get through November but there's a whole bunch of people in the middle that are really kind of just sick and tired of the national politics. And there's a lot of local politicians that are playing that national political game. And I don't know what we as citizens get out of that. You know, mm -hmm. uh, Nick and I have talked all week, well, since Wednesday, when I destroyed my car, like in a two foot pothole on 121, a state highway that's in it's in horrible shape. Why aren't we talking about how to fix things, you know, and read it of like shooting Bud Light cans or whatever. I, I, I don't, I don't understand why the 20% and the 20% seem to be driving a hundred percent. Cause they're the loudest. But I would say that most people to your point, Brian, are in the middle, just like us. I think people are so sick and tired of the political noise. Um, and that's what I, I mean, I've been focused, really tried to be focused on solutions. And, you know, you talk about potholes, like trying to bring infrastructure dollars back. We, I'm really proud we were able to identify about $300 million in federal grant grant funds to bring back to our communities. And that's what I think people expect me to be doing. Okay, so 15 bills, you introduced 15 bills, co-sponsored yep. 298. I don't know what that, I mean, I know what a 320 batting average is in baseball. I don't know where that lands on the scheme of, uh, uh, I'm assuming it's more than your compatriot. Uh, but how, is that a lot? It seems like a lot. I've been, I've been productive and busy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's introducing a lot, but it, but at the end of the day, you know, I think it, it's about how do we get these things done? And I think some of the frustration I have on the legislative front, I, are, I think, by the way, Brian, there are a variety of ways that we can find win for our communities even apart from legislation. But the legislation has really been very challenging because of the political environment in Washington. The Republicans having a very, very narrow majority in the House has really slowed a lot of the just basic business of the people like getting a budget done. Um, and until we can get things like a budget done, that has hamstrung our ability to do other important things like a farm bill. And so there's a really kind of snowball effect when we have a lack of leadership so, uh, you know, I think one of the things I've been really focused on is, again, bipartisanship, finding people, the majority of people bring together on these issues, but also find the wins back home. You know, we got a rail grant here in Decatur, 16 million for Brush College Road, one of the most dangerous intersections in the city of Decatur. 
infrastructure investments don't have to be hamstrung by legislative process because of the fact that these bills have already been passed. So it's really about identifying the funds, bringing them home. And that's where I, in this first year, I think I've been able to find success. Well, I think you went to where the stuff, I, I mean, you know, instead of arguing, I, I've never seen anything like this speaker uh, thing. I, I, I mean, it's unprecedented it is. on either side of the aisle. Yeah, it is. And it's not over. No, it's not. It's not. I mean, we just kicked the can down the road for the third time on a budget where we did a short term spending uh, funding initiative just to keep the government just to keep the lights on. Right. We, yeah. I have seventy two hundred federal employees in the 13th district. These are people that are anxiously waiting to find out if we if the government shuts down, that means that we're going to ask them to show up to work and not get paid. So that has a real life, you know, ramifications. If we can't get to a budget, we kick the can down the road until early March. I think we should be able to get to a bipartisan budget. We've agreed on a number of key principles, but again, when you're talking about that 20% on each side of the party that's really loud, they're really tying our hands on getting this done. We're doing that right now with Ukraine and then our border to the south. Uh, What I don't understand is there's a lot of conversation to be had around both of those subjects. Tying the two together so that you can blow it up in the middle, it just doesn't make any sense for the people of Ukraine, and it doesn't solve anything on our southern border. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. These are two very important um, crises that are happening that demand action right now. And I would just say on the border in particular, um, you know, there have been bipartisan conversations happening in the Senate to come to a, a, an idea of framework around providing more security, more funding for our border that just collapsed about 24 hours ago. And the reasoning is that we're hearing that Republicans would rather use this issue as a political opportunity to score points between now and the November election than addressing the issue. The people of Ukraine need funding now. They need our help now. Um, and we, we've been providing that, um, that really important support, but without it, Putin will win. And so we can't wait there. We can't wait to address the crisis at the border. We should have a functional government that should be able to find bipartisanship to address these issues. And I would point out, and I think it's fair to point out, there are people in your own party who have done similar things, that it is more important to have a political club to beat your opponent over the head with than it is to solve a problem. Uh, My good friend Howard, who spent a lot of time at the border and a lot of and written a couple of very interesting books, says the only way we're going to solve our border problem is to get politics completely out of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, what's happening at the border is is a part of the bigger problem, which is that we need a comprehensive approach to how we deal with immigration in this country. And it needs to be bipartisan. We have to secure the border. We have thousands of illegal immigrants coming into the country right now. What are we doing to stop that? But then what are we doing to create a real legal pathway for citizenship or legal status for folks that want to legally enter this country? We have a broken asylum system. Right. And then the vast so, majority of people just want a better life. Uh, and you look yeah. at what's going on in Ecuador, you know, now and what's been going on in, in, in you know, it, it's not even people coming from Mexico. It's people coming in through Mexico from other countries over the last couple of years has been the big mm-hmm. insert. Uh, insurgent there. I just don't. I just don't hear anybody having any adult conversations about it. It's got to be all one way or all the other, and I mean that on both sides. Yeah, no. I, I think, think there's people in your party that don't want any rules. Mm-hmm. No, I I agree. The fault lies on both sides. I completely agree with you, Brian. But you know, just using immigration again as an example, I just signed on to co-sponsor a bipartisan bill that's out there today called the Dignity Act, which has both Republicans and Democrats Democrats on it that would address all of these issues. Why can't we move these things forward? And I think that takes leadership. I think in the first year in office and looking back on that, I would say to you, and this sounds like an obvious statement, but leadership really matters in this country. Who leads our country? 
will enable us to put the politics aside. But if we don't have leadership that's willing to do that, then we are where we are. I think the perfect example of that is what's happening between Governor Pritzker and the governor of Texas. And uh, I think it's real easy to sit in Chicago and tell Texas what they should or shouldn't do when they're not getting the impact. I think it's soulless and 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 friggin' evil to put people on planes and buses to use as pawns, children, kids. Uh, so instead of just having, you know, hey, easy for you to say sitting up there, why don't we come to the table and figure out what to do about it? We're playing political games. That's with right. That's a, the ultimate example of the political game and using human beings. To yeah, do that, that, it's despicable you know? to do that. Yeah. But but I, I think that it is easy to sit in central Illinois or Chicago and not. I mean, I've been down there. I've seen what these ranchers are going through in Arizona and Texas. And you are seeing a very different side of this than we are here, even though it impacts us here. Yeah, they've been living that crisis for many, many, many years. So, yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's talk about some of your other accomplishments. Um, I, I know that a lot of uh, your standing with workers and and um, the LEAP Act and all this kind of started with what happened here with Acorn Pharmaceuticals. Yeah, that actually, you know, Rising Pharmaceuticals is now coming into the footprint of what was Acorn. Um, And that's a really positive story for the city of Decatur. You know, there were 400 jobs that were lost in basically the middle of the night when Acorn pulled out of this community. And we showed up the next day um, and working with uh, the Workforce Development Center, working with employers. The city was wonderful. The mayor was great. Everybody showed up. It was an all-hands-on-deck approach to getting these folks that just found out now they don't have a job and their health insurance was going to run out at the end of the month. And so what do we do? How do we get those folks back into good paying jobs? And we've had, I've had an opportunity to visit with rising pharmaceuticals and they're very committed to the investments in the city of Decatur. But out of that came legislation, the fair warning act, because I think we need to be um, tough on employers that think that they can do this. Um, you know, leaving a community like that is not acceptable. Well, from what I understand, you know, there was some, uh, you know, laws. I mean, they choose to pay the fines rather than abide by the law. Right. But I think that what it would do, the Fair Warning Act would require more notice. I mean, if you're going to lay a worker off, I think the least you can do is give them an adequate amount of notice so that they can prepare and look for that other job a community can can prepare Um, And so the Fair Warning Act would give additional notice, but would also kind of strengthen and add teeth to those penalties, making sure that those workers, if they were um, the violation of the Warren Act happened in in their situation, they would get the back pay, the full back pay for the time period that they should have uh, received it when they didn't get the fair notice that they deserved. All right, we've got to take a break. We'll talk about the LEAP Act. How do we get more people to work? Uh, You know, that's the magic bullet. I, I mean, if you... You can talk about government programs all day if you're not getting somebody to that next level, right? right. I, I mean, it, it's people need help with that. Yeah. But how do we get people into trades? How do we do better uh, about Nick and I were having this conversation earlier, you know, that middle class that's evaporated from this country, you know, over the last 30 years, uh, I feel like we're turning a corner there. Yeah, I'll I think see there, if you agree. Yeah, exciting stuff to talk about on all that right. front. We'll be back after the break. Stay tuned. Winter has definitely arrived in central Illinois, and that means it's also time for the winter sale at the Brass Horn. Stop in now to have the best choices from all of their fall and winter merchandise with 35 to 75% off your favorite brands. Whether you're looking for a new shirt and jacket or casual jeans and sportswear, they have everything you will need for any occasion. So stop by the store and visit the Brass Horn at 108 East Prairie in downtown Decatur. The everyday guys are ready to hit the hardwood. Drives right, baseline, and he hammers it home. Join the fighting alive. 
they look to head back to the NCAA tournament. Join the family every game right here on your home for fighting Illini basketball. The Illini take on the Indiana Hoosiers from the State Farm Center in Champaign Saturday afternoon. 1 o'clock pregame, 2 o'clock tip-off on WSOY, 1340 AM, 103.3 FM, and You're listening to Buyers and Company, streaming live at nowdecatur.com. Back here with uh, Congresswoman Nikki Budzinski in studios, um, the LEAP Act. Explain that to us. Yeah, the LEAP Act, again, it's a, it was my first piece of legislation introduced, bipartisan, um, that would be a small business tax credit for businesses that would hire a union apprentice or an apprentice through a great community college like right here in Richland, Richland's Community College. Um, so I, you know, I think that giving incentives, breaking down barriers, this has been one of my passions. I know it's one of your passions too, Brian, is that, you know, the four-year degree path um, is not the pathway for all young people. And we should be exposing those young people to other opportunities like the great programs at Enrich at Richland Community College or um, union apprenticeship programs, getting people to be electricians. These are good paying jobs and these are job openings in our community. The LEAP Act, I'm hoping, is just one of those further incentives uh, to kind of support that work. All right. Uh, we, um, you know, systems you know, they, they stay around forever. Uh, and I don't know if they were ever effective. I know they're not now, right? I mean, public education, you could, I mean, we deal with the perception of District 61 versus the reality of District 61. And that could be any urban school district in the United States of America. I mean, mm-hmm. pick a town. Mm-hmm. We can't even as governments agree about how we keep score. You, you know, uh, Florida brags about its rates, but if you took the way Illinois calculates the rates, Florida would be behind us. I mean, we can't even agree on what success looks like. Yeah. How do we fix the stuff that's become systematic and bureaucratic and, and how do we build that middle class back up? How do we point kids? Not only is it a four year degree, not the it's not even a good investment for some kids because they come out of it with so much student debt. Yeah. How do they build a life? You know, yeah. and if they can't if they don't get a useful degree that puts them into a, a, a well paying career, I, I mean it's it's not only the it's backwards for them. Mm-hmm. How do we change all that? Well, I think there's been some exciting opportunities in this first year in Congress that I've just been a helpful, try to be a helpful partner in that the local community is really leading, um, you know, the great work that the city's doing, again, Richland Community College, Nicole Bateman at the Economic Development Corporation, leading on some really important grant opportunities on workforce development. One of the most exciting, if not the most exciting bit of news that we got in my first year in office is that the city of Decatur became a finalist in the recompete grant application process. What that is is really looking at workforce development, but when we're talking about prosperity in Decatur, we're talking about prosperity for everyone. And when we recognize that black unemployment in Decatur is at 19% and the average within the community is at 9%, we're talking about we need to be focusing in on some of the communities that have really probably for very too long been left behind the recompete grant application that Richland Community College really led in partnership with a lot of key local stakeholders was selected as, first of all, the only community college in the country that led an application for recompete that made it to the finalist section. Um, there were 562 applications across the country. Decatur became one of the 22 finalists. This is a major accomplishment for folks locally here on the ground. But what that would transfer and translate into is 
all of this great expansion that is happening with ADM and Premium and uh, bioprocessing and fermentation. You know, another great thing that happened in this last year is the Tech Hub designation. I like to talk about on the House Ag Committee that between Decatur to Champaign, we are the ag tech corridor of this country. And the Tech Hub designation, or us becoming a finalist for that right here in Decatur, again, creates more economic opportunity. But how do we make sure indicator that everyone benefits from that opportunity? I, I think a lot of people just lump people into two categories, those who are working and those who aren't working. And, and those who aren't working are not working to the full potential they could be working are a lot of different stories. And, and, and we, we just had this conversation. It's no different than what NASCAR is doing. I mean, it absolutely isn't. If you create a space where people are flying Confederate flags and, and, and you wonder why black people aren't coming to your event, you, you have to change you do. And people had to see themselves in yeah. something. It's it's something yeah. that it doesn't seem complicated to me, but it's something that bureaucracy sort of skips over. Right. I think that's very true. And I think if you can't see it, you can't be it. You I can't think picture yourself. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I, I completely agree. And so I'm hopeful, you know, getting back to this recompete grant and targeting really specifically black unemployment in the city of Decatur through workforce development, through Richland Community College, that we'll be able to lift all boats for everyone in the city and everyone can take advantage of these great manufacturing jobs. We talk a lot about the fact that we don't need the four-year degree path to get into some of these good paying jobs in Decatur. I think on average, I think the number, the statistic is 77% of the manufacturing jobs that are open right now in the city of Decatur do not require a four-year degree. They do require some technical assistance, right. which you can get from Richland Community College. But it is about people being able to provide for their family. I think you're absolutely right when you say people might have a job, but if you're working at McDonald's, that is not necessarily going to provide for your family. So underemployment is a real issue. The quality of the jobs are a real issue. But for Decatur, where there are a lot of great job openings with middle class potential, it is about helping people get the skills they need to get into those jobs. And I'm really, really hopeful that we'll become one of the winners of Recompete. What's the timeline on that? We should know by early summer, okay. I think, and the Economic Development Administration will let us know. But that could mean, I know for the city of Decatur, they've requested $54 million for it. So would be huge. And then what would that $54 million be spent on? So it would be spent on wraparound services in part, um, you know, for folks that are trying to get into programs at Richland Community College, they're still struggling with things like daycare. They're still struggling with a lot of transportation. How do we help people be fully participatory in these programs so they can be successful? What about the barriers that, that are created probably unintentionally, but they're there by the government itself, meaning for me to start down this path, as soon as I do this, then I lose this benefit, and I'm now actually more underwater than I was before I started the path. I mean, it would seem to me, as a, as a country, you think about wraparound. Why would we not take a year or two years to make up for what, you know, for that person to get from here to there and not have to take four steps back financially uh, because they'd lose? I mean, we have too many of these things. And why would an, a two year investment not make a whole lot more sense, even if you don't give a damn about people rather than 20 years of assistance? Right. I, I agree. I think w what I would say to that is that this this progress is not going to happen overnight. And no, we do need but, to. But Debbie Bogle at the United Way, they've mm -hmm. got tools now. They have a calculator that can sit down individually and map all that out and look exactly what it, I, I mean, here's the road. So we know what the, the map 
looks like. Yeah. And, yeah. and we know where the, the stumbling blocks are and the obstacles, because if I go do this, then I have to give up this. And then what does that mean for, uh, for this new place I'm at to get to a point where I'm then making as much as I was before I didn't have this? Well, I think that's it, what's intended in this recompete application for Decatur is that we they are going to break down those barriers. They are going to help people be the best success, you know, the most yeah. successful they can be in getting into these jobs, getting the training and um, finding success at Richland, I think um, it's a it would be a big investment, but I think it's it's an investment to try to you know help people continue to move forward. Right, and I don't think we've rethought that for a very long time. This could be transformative. It's I, very I, exciting. I honestly believe it can. Yeah. Uh, and then, how do you do it at scale? Mm -hmm. That's another question. Okay, yeah. uh, we got a few minutes left here. Um, let's talk ag a little. As you mentioned, you know we're. Home to ADM and Premiate and soon to be uh, Nova Feed and and all the other projects that are out there. And in addition, why is that important? Well, there's thousands of jobs, uh, but you got to have the workforce to fill those jobs. There's other things coming that are contingent on us doing what we need to do. That and that means more. Uh, ag, we're getting there. We, if I think about where we started a few years ago to where we are today, clearly it's more part of public education mm -hmm. and being institutionalized. Um, What's the potential? Uh, you mentioned the hub, you know, between yeah. here and Champaign, uh, you know, the University of Illinois, School of Aces, you know, right. uh, Fortune 50 companies like ADM. There's a lot of potential. There's a lot of potential. How do we maximize It's exciting. That? Um, well, I think, you know, continuing, you know, the work of this tech hub, getting that nailed down, getting dollars attached to that designation uh, for the bioprocessing and fermentation work that's already happening, quite frankly, here in Decatur and throughout the region. So just additional investment. I think the workforce component is an important component of this in the in the bigger picture of economic development for the city of Decatur. But again, I, I serve on the House Agriculture Committee. One of the things we absolutely have to get done in my second year in Congress is this farm bill as well, because that's obviously very support. It, we need to be supporting our family farmers. We grow so much corn and soybean. We have some of the best soil in this area as well. But in order to find success with these other issues as it relates to bioprocessing or biofuels, I'm a very big supporter of biofuels as well. We have to have the corn and the soybean. We have to support the growers. In order to do that, we got to get a farm bill done. Um, so that's another thing that I've been working on on a bipartisan basis. Um, farm bills typically tend to be bipartisan. I'm, I'm very hopeful this one will be, too. All right. You announced uh, $1.2 million uh, a, a week or so ago for Baby Talk here for mm -hmm. uh, early Head Start funding. What, what is that money for? Head Start is just incredibly important when you're talking about wraparound services, when you're talking about breaking down barriers for people getting into, into work. Um, you know, these types of programs are what are going to provide parents with the opportunity to go to work, knowing that their child is in a facility that's getting good quality care, um, that they are learning early childhood development is something that's critically important that is supported through this initiative. Um, and that's visiting Head Starts in these types of facilities is one of the things I've really prioritized in my first year as well, because I think that we need to be supporting the, the very youngest learners, but we also need to support their parents so that they can get into the jobs that they're uh, that they're working in every day all right and, and what is a clean school bus 
I will. I'll elect I mean, my, my mind goes to something, you know, like back in the day, you know, they weren't all that clean, but I'm assuming you're talking about yeah. for the environment. I'm talking about for the envi environment, Brian. Um, but no, it's an electric school bus. We, we made an announcement. We actually had another on the western side of the district, um, but we had uh, 50 electric school buses announced for the city of Decatur, uh, for the school district. This is just an effort to decarbonize and to make a healthier environment for our kids to learn and grow and and this is just one one important step in that direction um do you feel like uh, i don't know where nick's the resident ev uh expert i feel like we're stalling a little right now and i don't think that's going to be the long term uh you know but the short term can government help push that yeah i mean that's what we do i think best it's been a while, but, you know, building highways and infrastructure and and causing society to move in a direction by incentives or whatever. Do you feel like that's at hand or are we in a little bit of a stall right now? I, I do think that's at hand. But again, it's one of those things that it's hard to it's not something you can see tangibly overnight. It's a process. I, we talked about agriculture, climate smart agriculture and conservation programs that our growers voluntarily participate in are really important. There's a historic investment, $19.5 billion in those types of conservation programs because we recognize that there's a lot of different sectors that contribute to the carbon that we're emitting into our environment. Agriculture has a footprint in that. Transportation is the leading cause of carbon emissions um, in the country. So investing in public transportation, investing in electric school buses, all of that works together uh, to reduce our carbon footprint and help us make progress. But this is, this is going to be a transition, and it's not going to happen overnight. Okay. Uh, come back and see us soon. I would love or to. by Thanks. phone or whatever. <laughs> when do you go back to Washington, D.C.? I go back next week. Monday, we have votes. So I'll be back. Are you looking forward to it or are you dreading it? I like being home okay. is what I'll say. I would imagine <laughs> with normal people. Yes. Uh, uh, congratulations on your first year. Thanks, Thanks for uh, staying in touch and uh, keep doing what you do. Thank you. And uh, if people want to contact your office, I know constituent services are important. Locally, what do they do? Just go to house um, budzinski.house.gov. Budzinski.house.gov. Just Google, you'll find it. And then all of the <laughs> offices are listed there. You've been listening to the Newhoff Media Podcast Network. For more, visit newhoffmedia.com.